Hi everyone, welcome to Behind the Grid, where we explore worldviews from around the world and the key moments that change them forever. What I want to offer you right now is an opportunity to experience your world through someone else's story and to perceive your challenges from a fresh perspective so that you can get past them and reach your wildest goals. I'm your host, Chris Owl, and welcome to the show. Before we start, I want to give a big thank you to our sponsor, Essential Vibes Frequency Jewelry. They're a really cool company. They found a way to put frequencies into metals and crystals, which have different effects when you wear them on your body. If you want to check them out, go to essentialvibes.ca slash owl. Today, it is my honor to have Danny Levin on the show. Danny is a storyteller, a heartfelt speaker, and a professional listener. He travels around the world to help governments, organizations, and businesses become more heart-focused. And he's the author of The Mosaic, which teaches timeless wisdom through a powerful story of archetypes. Danny, welcome to Behind the Grid. What a treat. I, I have had a small chance to get to know you in the green room before we came on. <laughs> and I already love who, I, who I've gotten to meet. So thank you for the honor of being on your show. Oh, thank you so much. I honestly, as soon as I saw your post uh, in, in this one group that we're a part of, I immediately knew that I had to get you on on this podcast because you have such a powerful story to share. And, you know, I gave it a little intro, but that doesn't even scratch the surface of Danny Levin. So I'm excited today to get to go through your life story and to look at what you believe now, what your worldview is, and how it's changed over the years, and also what you're going to be doing in the future, and where where you're going with your life now. So cool. thank you so I, much. Absolutely. I'd love to know what it was in the first things that you read that made you feel that. Yeah. You know, I... I would need to go back and look at the post. What I remember, what I remember is I looked at, I think it was, I don't remember if it was your post or your website, but it was something really early on. I mean, I've, I've just been consuming so much Danny Levin content that I don't remember <laughs> what in particular it is that, that made me instantly fall in love with you. But <laughs> Oh my God. But I knew right I, away, I was like screaming. I was like, oh my God, I need Danny Levin on my show. <laughs> Well, I'm happy. I'm happy to be here. That's a thank you. When you, when you talked on your podcast about how at the end of each episode, you ask people, like, are you happy with this world? And if yeah. not, what would you change? That's such yeah. a profound question. Yeah, the question that I always ask people at the end of every podcast is when you look out the window and you see the world that you see. Is it the world you always dreamed of handing over to your children and your children's children? And it's interesting. I don't know if it's because I'm changing or it's because the world is changing or it's because I'm just <laughs> speaking to different people now and listening in a different way. But whereas before, probably 98% of the people would answer that question, no. Um, and it's pretty obvious to understand why they would answer no. There's a, we're in a lot of chaos or a lot of friction, a lot of disagreement. Uh, people are talking, very few people are listening. I suddenly started to get some people to say, yes, it is actually. 
And I'm so eager to hear the world that people see when they see this as a world that they want to hand over to their children and children's children. And I tell them, please share that with us so that we can, so that other people who don't see that world might get a chance to see it. Because everything that I'm about now, everything that I'm becoming is about learning to see the world through not only my eyes, but through the eyes of the people that I live in this world with. And when I can see it in different perspectives, when I can see the way different people see, suddenly that's where innovation lies. That's where glory lies. That's where there's so much richness in life. When we come out of the silos of like-minded communities, which I, when I first found my like-minded community, I was in bliss. I was like, wow, this feels so good. There are other idiots, crazy people like me that are doing this, think like me and feel like me and act like me. I can't believe there's more that exists. I said, I'm, I jumped into the pond full tilt and love swimming in it. <laughs> but suddenly now, those silos have gotten wider and, and stronger. And the gaps between them are getting wider and deeper. And suddenly, there's not many people in the valley anymore. People, in order to be heard at all, are joining silos where they say a little bit of what they want to say, but a lot of what they don't want to say, too. And we're stuck in these buildings of, of people who believe like us without any, and, and we fight people who don't agree with us because we want to be right so much. We want to be heard so much. Yeah. And I just wondered what would happen if we allowed each other to just say what we believed and, and, and we listened. Wow. I've been around the world a lot. I've had the opportunity to sit and have dinner in the homes of the richest people in the world. I've met their families. I know their children. I know their parents. And I've had also the same opportunity to sit on cardboard boxes with some of the poorest people in the world. Yeah. And one of the things I've noticed is that every single one of them, it doesn't matter what border they live behind. It doesn't matter what religion they practice. It doesn't matter what, how much money is in their bank account. It doesn't matter if they have a home or don't have a home. It, don't, it doesn't matter what God they believe in or don't believe in. They all want the same thing. They just want to be loved and accepted. Yeah. And they want to be listened to and heard. And I realized I could do that. Anyone could do that. Anybody could do it, right? <laughs> yeah. Who could do that? It but you're, a, you're good degree. at it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. But it doesn't take a college degree. It doesn't take a diploma. It doesn't take a, a religious organization to, to fund you. It doesn't take a, a monastery to live in. Yeah. It doesn't take a pulpit to stand behind because this is about listening, not talking. Yeah. You were mentioning that you wanted to go and live in a cave in the Himalayas. And I know because yeah. I've, I've thought of that too. They have this one program that I'm sure you, you've heard of where you can go three years, three months, and three days. And you can just go in and disappear and find yourself is, is the idea. Yeah. But, you know, I, I, just had, I just had another gentleman on a podcast who, who wanted to do the same. And his, his guru told him uh, that, that if you do that, you're running away from the work in front of you. And I, I feel like you have a similar answer and that's why you've stayed back with the rest of us to help, help be a part of humanity. I, I don't know. I would say that there's different cycles in our life. I just had a conversation prior to getting on this phone conversation with, with a friend of mine that I haven't spoken to in, a, in too long. I, I, I regrettedly, I haven't spoken to her in a while. 
and we were just sharing notes and she's been um, in movement for five years. And she just told me she's settling down and she's got a house and she's so excited to get a house. And it, it was so interesting because we were literally going to be crossing each other along the way. As she comes to her house, I'm going to be leaving my house. And and how absolutely right it was for her to have her house and how absolutely right it is for me to leave my house. And I don't think there's anything that is cast in stone. Yeah. Like I, like I was a monk for 10 years in a monastery where I was siloed away. And I love that, that place. My wife is going to write a book. She says, I married a monk because I'm still that guy. <laughs> you know, I still, love the, I still love the presence of my, of my presence with my creator. Mm-hmm. And I still love the opportunity to sit in that cave of my own mind and just touch base with him and feel him and experience him and have a love affair with God. And yet it wasn't meant for me to do anymore. I thought that was how I was going to spend the rest of my life. Maybe it will come back. Maybe I'll, as I travel along the road, somebody will find me a two-star cave and I'll be able to be okay in it, right? <laughs> we'll see. So it reminds me of the story of Christ where you, you, you hear about him as a kid and then he just disappears off the grid for a really long time presumably meditating in caves with some sort of esoteric lineage. And then who knows though? And and then after that, he comes back and his time is to be with the people. And that, that sort of, that seems to be where you're at, where you're coming into this time of really being with the people kind of in a, a lot of the same ways that the Christ story has, where he goes and spends time with everybody, you know, and, and you are going to be doing the same thing with your journey well the only difference is he was a he was an enlightened human being and i'm just a bozo on the bus but you know, <laughs> along, I, we can uh, i'm walking in the footsteps of someone who knew what they were doing without knowing anything about what i'm doing so it's a, the, the, the the similarities fall really far short when you put person to person but idea wise yeah we're i i i I wanted, I'm inspired by what he did. He didn't, he didn't sit with the holy men. He yeah. sat with the prostitutes and the, and the thieves. He yeah. sat with the common ordinary people. And when we hear his story, we're inspired, but somewhere in the translation of our inspiration to our daily life, we forget that we can do the same thing. Yeah. Greater and things. don't, right? Yeah. And so we walk by those people on the street and we, and we spit on them or yell at them or tell them, or are ashamed of them, mm-hmm. but our but our Lord didn't do that. He sat with them. He dined with them. Yeah. He spent nights with them. And so I thought, gosh, there must be something. If the Bible, as short as his three years left on life, you know, he he vanishes at eighteen or twelve. And then he's gone for 18 years and he comes back at 30 and the last three years he spends with those people. Why those people? Mm. And you think all these massive churches that we have, I just wonder if he were to walk into any of those churches 
and they didn't know it was him, how he would be treated. Yeah. He'd flip the tables. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so I wondered if he walked into my own temple, how I would have treated him. Wow. And it's part of what draws me on the road to see how I, tr- how I would treat him in the simplest of the simple. We'll see. Stories left untold. Danny, I want to hear more about your story too. Like you have all this insight, you have all this wisdom. How did you get to this place, to this worldview? Do you want to, do you want to start at the beginning and share a bit of your story from your heart and also share what was going on behind the scenes, sort of things that nobody would have gotten to know from the outside? I always knew how to play the game of this life, but I never felt like I belonged there. When I was a kid, we call him an imaginary friend, but he wasn't imaginary to me. He's, he's as imaginary to me as you are to me. Like, am I really talking to you now? Yeah, right. Um, exactly. I think I, I think I am, right? <laughs> right? Um, was I really talking to him then? I thought I was. I saw him. He saw me. I took him, I took him in my house to meet my mom. And I said to him, I said, Mom, I want to meet you. I want to introduce you. Here's my best friend. Here's the guy I do everything with during the course of the day. And she looked at me and she said, Danny, there's nobody there. And I said, what do you mean there's nobody there? And, and what, do you, what do you mean she, there's nobody there? And she said, Danny, you, like, I have to talk to you really, really seriously. You can't talk about him to anybody. People will lock you up and think you're crazy. And, and I said, what do you mean? He's right here. What, how, can you, how can you say that? What do you mean? I mean, he's right here. And she said, Danny, there's nobody there. And so I learned really early on that I couldn't talk about the things that were closest to me. And it wasn't because my mom didn't love me. It's because she did love me. She wanted me. She wanted to protect me from a world that would think I was crazy. And then when my mom and dad passed away, I was 13 when my dad passed away. He was my hero. I was a mini me before anybody knew what mini me's were. We would be in, I grew up in Philadelphia and we would go to Atlantic City. We were a poor family, a lower middle class family. But my dad spent all of his money and money that he didn't have to give us a life that we wouldn't hurt and we wouldn't feel bad with. So when he died, he died with a mountain full of debt and one black suit because he didn't take care of himself or do anything for himself. He just gave. And part of the way he gave was to take us for two weeks every summer to Atlantic City so that we could experience, have a summer vacation together as a family. And in those days, Atlantic City was sort of a, a nice place. And we would, I remember we would walk the boardwalk and I would hold his ring finger with my, with my whole hand. And we would walk together side by side and people would stop in their tracks because the way we waddled was the same. The way our bodies looked the same. He was just taller and I was just shorter. We were like, and I would say, Dad, why is everybody looking at us? You know, because they were literally looking at us. And he said, it, uh, they, they just feel how much we love each other and how close we are to each other. And so when he passed away, it was like I lost my world. And 
he died making love to my mom. Wow. So that broke my mom's heart. So my mom died of a broken heart, which camouflaged itself as breast cancer. And two years to the day that he died, she died, she died also. So I was left to my, I was left to my own, but along the course of my life growing up when my dad passed away, I didn't feel like anybody could understand me. I didn't feel anybody could relate to me. I didn't feel like what I was saying, anybody could really understand. And so it's no surprise that I'm going around the world now to listen to people who don't feel heard because I never felt heard. I mean, sure, people listened to me. Sure, people can, wanted, to, wanted to feel for me. But my friends didn't have any idea what it was like to grow up without a dad. When I moved in with my aunt and uncle, my uncle was a household name. They were kind to me. They were trying to show me, give me the world, the greatest world that they, had ever, they could ever do. And 99.99999% of the people would have taken that world and run with it and never turned back. But it wasn't my world. And so I had to walk away from it. And I hurt them. And I'm sorry that I hurt them. Because they couldn't accept that I couldn't accept what they wanted to give me. And somehow it seems to be that a lot of people with money believe that, if you, that everybody wants their money. And so they have complete control over you to tell you how to live so that you have a chance of getting their money. I didn't want their money. It didn't mean anything to me. Do I look back sometimes and say, you're an idiot? You know, you could have, life could have been so much easier for you. Yes, yeah, there's some moments that I do. But I could have never been who I am by trying to be what my uncle was. And I wouldn't have ever had the chance to be what I am. The beauty of my parents passing away, if there's one beautiful golden note in it, we all do what our parents, our parents play a big part in us making the decisions we make because we want to please our parents. My parents weren't around anymore. So I had nobody that I outwardly had to please. I just had an inward sense of who they were. And I, and I, I knew if I was doing what I loved to do, they would be pleased. But had they been alive doing what I loved to do might not have pleased them. So I was free of that burden that a lot of people, beautiful burden. It's not a, it's not a cumbersome burden. But I just didn't have it. And when my aunt and uncle said, well, you got to do what we tell you to do, I said, you're not my parents. I was a, you know, arrogant little 15-year-old kid. I said, you're not my parents. I don't have to do anything. <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and they, quite frankly, didn't know how to deal with it. They said, well, you'll be disinherited. You know, we, we, we want to give you this whole world. And I said, that's okay. You don't, I, I don't deserve any of it. You, <laughs> you don't owe me. Like, I don't believe that's mine anyway. So you can oh take it. God. So at a certain point, they lost all their playing cards. Because I just felt somehow strongly guided to do what I knew I had to do. I don't know where I got the courage to do it. And sometimes I look back and think I was, I'm stupid. They, they invested the money that my, my, they paid off the debts that my father had for my mom. And they invested money for us when I, when I turned 21, I think, or 18, 21, I think. And I inherited it. I said, this isn't mine. And I gave it to poor. I gave it away to the poor people. Now, could I have, if I would have kept that money that they invested and done nothing with it, just turned my back on it and left it in a bank, I would have had millions and millions and millions of dollars now. 
Was that the smartest thing to do? Probably not. But it wasn't mine. I didn't feel like it was mine. I never felt drawn to, to, to doing what I do for the money of the world. I felt drawn to helping people out my whole life. But people didn't think I was very smart. And they knew I had a genius IQ, but they didn't think I was very smart world-wise. And it was really only years later. I guess what I'm really saying is the world that I saw was different than the world that everybody else saw. And that was, that's a, that was a scary place to be in. Because often I felt isolated and alone. Because I couldn't relate to the things that people were interested in. And they couldn't relate to the things I was interested in. They always led with, wow, you'll be successful. Wow, you'll have this. And I couldn't care less. And so it made me feel isolated and alone. And then somewhere along the line, I remember a big company calling me up and saying, um, we'd like to meet with you. And I said, why? And they said, we're, we're stuck where we are. We're, we, we, we're seeing our problems from the same place we always see our problems. We've been told that you see the world differently than other people, and we'd like you to come in and show us and, and talk to us about the world you see when you look at our world. And somehow in working together, we found innovative new solutions for them that they had never even considered. And suddenly what was the biggest problem in my life became the biggest solution in my life. That what I was doing of seeing the world differently now was called innovation. And companies were clamoring to work with me because suddenly it was cool to see the world different. So we never know where the next door is going to take us. And I often believe when writing the mosaic and, the, and this idea of a mosaic of just all these pieces connecting to one another, that we're one piece away from an entirely different reality. Yeah. And if we just allow that piece to connect us to the other piece rather than barricade us into the reality that we're in, if we use it as a connecting point, new worlds open, open up. This piece connects us to that piece. And even if that piece doesn't open up, now we're connected to three more pieces. And somewhere in those connections, everything we're looking for is right there. Fabulous way to live life. Wow. Danny, there's, there's, there's so much there that is touching my heart. I've, I've even had a tear come to my eye already just listening to this. I, I'm so impressed by your story. And all of these times where you've made these, these stupid decisions, they are the decisions that have forged you into who you are. And, and, and there's, they're priceless. They're absolutely pricelessly valuable decisions. So yeah. just thank you so much for making them because otherwise I wouldn't be here talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's, so I really want to share because it sounds, everything in retrospect sounds beautiful. Right. But some of those decisions are really painful. Some of those decisions, I wondered what I, my, what I myself was doing. 
in the mosaic in the book that i wrote everybody knows the hero's journey is a story you have to tell in order to have a a book that works or a movie that works or a life that works and you, you need an antagonist and i didn't want to write an antagonist in the book because i wanted it to be sort of uplifting and every character had i wanted people to see that every character had some really redeeming quality not just they weren't just fighting to fight so the antagonist really came out in Mo's own thoughts about himself, Mo's own thoughts about how he wasn't good enough or he, he made the wrong decisions or what would happen if he wasn't able to do what he needed to do or how he wasn't taking care of his mom well. He thought that his answer was to help work and, and bring money in to help pay the bills that the dad has left them. But in doing that, he left a mom who was so lonely and desperate that really what she needed was someone to just be there and love her, love her and, and take care of her. And he was gone working to make, make ends meet. And those decisions are hard decisions. Those decisions where we pit a core value against a core value or where we can't win and we can't lose. And those decisions are painful decisions. So we have to be willing to walk into the pain and walk out of the pain. And not just Pollyannishly coat it with, oh, isn't it beautiful now the way it was? It, it, it is beautiful. I, I mean, I love the person that I've become. But there are so many moments in my life that I wondered, what in the world? Why can't I just, why couldn't I just move two blocks from where we grew up and be friends with my friends, you know, and stay in the same neighborhood and live with the same people and enjoy the same friendships and build on those relationships? Why did I have to do all this? Because it's just the life we have to live. It's like we were talking in the green room or whether we were on the air already. Some people have to go to the monastery. Some people going to the monastery is, is running away from life. And so there are no, unfortunately, in school, you have the teacher's edition, which has all the answers in it. In life, there is no teacher's edition with all the answers in it. Every story has a different answer that's the right answer for that story. So people think, wow, like what a life you've lived. Well, that's great, but what a life you're living. You know, how beautiful to live your life, to make your decisions, to, to fall down when you fall down and get up when you get up. How beautiful it is to love another person in the way you love another person and then meet them again and love them again in an entirely new way because you really learned what love is over the course of not knowing how to love. How magnificent it is be the one that everybody hates. I just, I just um, about six months ago heard that there was a book in Christianity that nobody even knows about. Which one? That as, as all of the disciples of Jesus wrote their um, story, you know, you have the book of Mark, the book of Matthew, the book of uh, Paul. The book of Thomas? Judas. Judas? Judas wrote a book. What? And that it was buried in where the Dead Sea Scrolls were. No way. And the book of Judas tells an entirely different story than the world has ever heard. The book of Judas talks about Jesus going to all his disciples and saying, I need one of you to betray me. 
I need one of you to know that from now until the end of time, people will think of you and spit on your name. They will hate you. They will do everything they can to, to annihilate the memory of you from their minds. They will think you're a traitor. They will think you're the worst possible being. They will think you gave up everything for a few shekels to, uh, to have. And you gave up the, the you, you were the one that, that got me crucified. And he went one by one by one to all of his disciples. And he said, will you do it? And each one of them said, I can't do that, Lord. I can never do that. And Judas was his, his, most, his most beloved disciple. And he went to Judas and he said, Judas, will you do this? And he said, my Lord, I'd do anything for you. Who cares what people think of me? We know what's happening here. If this will bring favor to you from you, if this will allow you to do the mission you need to do, are you kidding? I would love to do that for you. I happily give over everything that I am and all that I am for future generations to give you one moment of pleasure. Wow. What I loved about that book is that the world we see is not the world that is. That's what the Mosaic tells taught me. The world we see is only the world we see. There's so many other possibilities that exist in the same world we see. You learned that as a child. Yeah. There was a, <laughs> there was a friend that I had that nobody else could see. Judas had that other story, that hidden story that nobody else could see. And that story that you're telling was just touching my heart. It feels like every single thing you're saying is touching my heart. I don't know if I'm just <laughs> emotional today or, <laughs> but I really yeah. think it's because of you, Danny, you carry just such a beauty, uh, beauty to you. And you have so much um, heart in your voice. Like it actually is coloring the tone of your voice. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Well, so let me share a secret with you. First of all, I don't think it's because of me. I think it's because of you. And I think you're sensitive enough to pick up on something. But when I speak to people, it's on a podcast or in front of a room or even just with my family. The words that I say are not at all what I'm really communicating. The words that I say are meant to occupy your mind. Because your mind is what gets in the way of you having a real trans transformation. Your mind is saying, what's happening here? I can't let this happen. What is he hypnotizing me? What is he doing? What's going on here? What's happening here? Right? And it, 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 it brings all the fear of change into the system. When I can occupy your mind with beautiful conversation, when I can entice the mind to start to think about the words that I'm saying, it frees up the rest of me to actually touch your heart and touch your soul without the interruption of the mind. And that's really what conversation's meant to be. Conversation transformation is not going to ever happen from words. It's going to happen from a vibration that enters from one person to another. And when we're good at, at, at that, when we love people so much that our vibration just expands out to include them in the love of our When the mind slows down, people feel that and they, and they get affected by it. And that's what will change the world. That's why listening is so important. 
Like I'm talking so much. How can someone who talks so much talk about listening? Because as I'm talking, I'm talking to your mind, but I'm listening to your soul. I'm listening to your heart and I'm, and I'm responding quietly to the heart and soul of who you are in the conversation. I, I feel it, Danny. I feel it. I, it's, it's, really, it's really interesting because ever since I've done EMT and then meditation and then slowly this journey of self-discovery, I've been finding I've been able to go more and more into my body. And now I have pretty much all the time half my awareness on my body. And because of that, I've like, like, like my heart is like just throbbing. Like I just like feel like whoosh, 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 like all this energy just coming in. Uh, and it's, it's really, really special to me. So I just want to make sure you realize and celebrate yourself in that. Because all too often people say, well, it's because of you, or it's because of you, or it's because of this other person I met, or it's because of this, or this woman that I'm with, or it's because of this. None of that's possible if you're not open to it. So I want you to just celebrate your, the beauty of your openness. That it's your, because just like I, I'll put out a vibration, you'll be, people are either a magnet that, that draws it into them or, or expels it out from them. And so the process starts to become this incredibly magnetic process where it's just God loving God. Yes. And we're just going back and forth, just loving each other. And we both <laughs> feel it and everybody feels it. And we feel, dr- we feel drawn to it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I feel, I feel very comfortable saying it's, it's God loving God. That's yeah. Yeah. Because it, it feels, it feels like even the fact that I can feel this it feels like a gift. It, it doesn't feel like it's like, oh yeah, it's my great achievement that I've given to myself. I can now feel. No, it feels like I was a dumbass going into advertising, similar like you. You know, I, I didn't. I wasn't offered the top of the company, but I was going right into a major ad agency, uh, able to to work on their strategy team, which is a a beloved role within this company. You know. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I gave that up once I did DMT and I could, I could see the world differently. And the only reason I could do DMT is because the universe gave me the opportunity and the openness in one small moment to be able to do that yeah. and change my life forever. So, and, and I'm sure it's the same with you, Danny, where, where was it in your life that, that you first had that, that heart awareness really sink in where you started to live from your heart was this something you were born with like maybe like the idea of jesus or is it something that that happened to you is there a moment it certainly wasn't something like jesus that's for sure that i was born with. (laughs) i am not like jesus in any way shape or form I wish it wasn't this way, but it seems to be this way, at least for me. They tell the story in Zen of a mountain where a drop of water would continue to fall on the same rock 
over and over and over again. There was just this little drop that would fall over and over and over for hundreds of years, thousands of years. And eventually that little drop of water wore a hole into the stone where it kept dropping. And instead of dropping on the rock, it actually went through the rock. There's something in that that I think is true for me. And the vehicle of the drop, I think, was the pain, was pain that I've experienced in my life. That there was a gift of pain that was so um, excruciatingly powerful, big, that it's left me with still lots to work on. But if you hit a stone long enough, it has to change. And I think that the pain just changed me. It opened me up over, over the course of a lifetime. I remember, why not? Ah, I was part of a yoga community and I was a minister in the yoga community. I was a monk in the, in the, in the, in the yoga community and I felt pretty protected. Um, and then I got married. My wife and I got married and we had a developmentally delayed daughter, but I still was a minister in the yoga community. One of a, I mean, we were a community of 900 people with 200 ministers. So I wasn't like the minister. I was one of, you know, I was one of a bunch of ministers. And I was sitting talking to a friend of mine outside the market that we all shopped at on our property. We had a, a cute little market. And I was talking to him and a woman walked past me. But when she walked past me, she didn't walk past me. She walked through me. And as she walked through me, I looked over at her. And I could see this. She felt the same thing I felt. Some of my DNA had gone into her. And some of her DNA stayed, stayed with me. And I was a married man with a developmentally delayed daughter. And I had been a big, big, big proponent of living a, a life of integrity, not having affairs. And we were a community of people. So a lot of times people in the community were drawn to each other and there were people having some affairs. And I would always speak out against them. And lo and behold, that which we speak out against is what we go through. And this woman... And I tried so hard to not engage. We spent six months fighting. Um, and after six months, we couldn't fight anymore. And we ended up having an affair for about, I'm going to say almost six months. We would see each other. We would, have, we would be together. And I didn't tell my wife about it. Until finally, I was in so much pain that my face looked like the face of Elephant Man. I don't know if you remember that movie. There was a movie years ago called Elephant Man where his face literally was peeling like the face of an ele elephant. My face was literally, I, I couldn't stand what I was seeing in myself and my face was literally showcasing. And finally I sat and I told my wife, well, a bad situation only got worse because that didn't sit very well with my wife. She had always, she assumed that that's what I was doing. But when you cheat on somebody, it hurts them. 
And 10 months later, she had stage four breast cancer. Now, do I believe I caused her stage four breast cancer? Probably a little part of me does. Probably most of me doesn't. But she chose that way to, to withdraw from the world. Because it was a politically acceptable way to go. Because the head of our community felt, knew we loved each other and didn't want to leave us. Or didn't want us to leave each other over a mistake that I made. She spent the last four years of her life battling cancer and the last two and a half years of her life in blood-curdling, screaming pain for 45 minutes every 45 minutes. She would have 45 minutes of blood-curdling, screaming pain, 45 minutes of relief all day, all night for two and a half years. Years after she died, I spoke with a friend of mine from Hay House by the name of Sonia Choquette. She was a psychic that we published. And I asked her, just, can you tell me what's going on here? Um, I feel so ashamed of myself and so bad. And I feel like I caused my wife's death. Can you tell me, can you give me some insight? And she said, um, Danny, I've known you a long time. Would you say you're the same person today as you were when you had the affair? I said, absolutely not. I mean, I'm completely different. I'm softer. I'm gentler. I'm, I'm, I'm less arrogant. You know, I know the pain of what people go through, and I know the pain my wife went through, and I'm, and I'm so sorry. I'm not. I'm. I'm like so, so sorry. And she said, "Let me paint a scenario for you because it's the real scenario." You see the possibility that your wife loved you so much that she came into this world accepting to go through all of this pain and suffering to help you become the man that you are today because she knew that you wouldn't have a chance of becoming that man without her doing that. And you see the love that she has for you today and how proud of you she is today for becoming that man through this process. And can you now tell me how ashamed you feel of yourself and how embarrassed you feel of yourself when all she's doing is smiling and clapping and celebrating where you are? Wow. (laughs) And so, again, the world isn't the world we see. And that helped me so much. And you make reference to Jesus. I've made references not to Jesus, but I'm going to come back to that. Because in some ways, that's what Jesus did too. Judas said, Jesus, I love you so much that I'll go through all this scorn, all this shame, all this hatred, all this belief that I sold you out just so you can have the moment to be who you want to be. That's what my wife did. And I'm undoubtedly a different person. And that experience has undoubtedly changed me. That experience has made me so much kinder and so much softer. 
and it still is unfolding. Like that, that softness is just more and more and more over the course of the years that I'm living. I realize it just continues to grow. And there's so many rough edges on me still. But I'm, I'm, I'm happy in, this, in the edges that have become smoothed. I feel that so deeply. It is such a powerful story. And I can relate to it because even though I haven't had the same challenge in, in the same life that you have, on a smaller scale, I've gone through a lot of the very same things. Early on in my relationship with with Karen, who who is my girlfriend of five years now, uh, on I... I grew up very ashamed and very, I would say like, I didn't really like who I was. And so when I finally was able to go on a date with Karen and, and meet with her and, and she liked me, I I had a really hard time believing it. And so I had kept other options open. Idiot. (laughs) So I, I had all of this, I just couldn't believe that somebody would like me, you know, and this is, this is, this is early on. And, and so on Valentine's day, I had, I had actually like texted another girl that I was just sort of keeping on the back burner. You know what I mean? Just in case this failed. And it was like the scummiest thing I could have done, you know, and it was, it was so hurtful. And, you know, I, I feel that pain so much too. Uh, so I, I haven't gone through that, the same thing that you did, but, but I can totally relate to, to breaking somebody's heart, even in a smaller way. Um, and even though it's early on, it really, really hurt her. And I am forever thankful that I've been able to, to recoup from that and, and recover my relationship with, with Karen and, um, and really, but you know what? It, it was by really knowing that I wanted her, and and all, and then losing her like that, that really showed me how much I really wanted her and valued her. And so, yeah. Anyways, I don't want to to make this about me, but I just wanted to say I can totally relate because I I totally understand yeah. what that's like. Well, it's a conversation. We have to we make it about each other because what happens in her in a story? The beautiful thing about a story. That's why I wrote the mosaic is a story. The beautiful thing about a story is when I say, when I tell a story, it immediately opens up a story in somebody else. Yeah. (laughs) Right. And that story then becomes our story because it's a story we now share with each other. Wow. And that is what connects us rather than a self-help book where I tell you what to do, or I say, (laughs) these are the things you should do. Right. (laughs) <laughs> that that doesn't really connect us. You might feel like, wow, that's a smart guy, but it doesn't connect us. It puts me on a pedestal and you below. Who wants that? That's not the world that we want. That's the world that we're growing out of now. The world we're growing into is a, is a collective mind, a mind and a heart and a soul that we're, that are all connected to each other. There's not one better or one worse, one bigger or one smaller. Um, we're this, we're the same and we're, we're a mosaic made up of broken pieces that come together to create this exquisite piece of artistry that on its own, on our own, we could never have. 
but together we create something that is so magnanimous and so beautiful, so, so overwhelmingly powerful. And it only happens by us uniting together. I feel it. That's incredible. That you know, there's, there's so much I'm learning right now about myself in this moment. It's, I, I can't even put it all to words. <laughs> yeah. I had an inkling to share. I had an inkling to share it with you. Just something the Rebbe taught me when I was in seminary. And he, he pulled me aside one day and he said, your problem is you're too honest, but you're not truthful enough. And I said, what did we just become a Zen monastery? What the heck is that? Mean? That sounds like, that sounds like a Zen Cohen. I mean, what does it mean that I'm too honest and not truthful enough? And he said, let me try and explain this to you. Imagine going home to your girlfriend now. I wasn't with a girlfriend, but I'm saying it for you now. Imagine coming home to your girlfriend. And imagine saying to her, baby, I thought about you every minute of the day. Except for these 45 seconds when this woman walked by, she was just gorgeous. I couldn't take my eyes off of her. And I just watched her from as full as the scan of my eyes could go. <laughs> what would your girlfriend hear? Would she hear that you thought about her for 23 hours, 59 minutes and 15 seconds? Or would she hear that you thought about this girl for 45 seconds? Right? <laughs> Honesty. Honesty brings that result. The truth is, baby, I thought about you almost every minute of the day, and I'm so happy I'm with you now. Because I love being with you. You lose the truth sometimes in your honesty. And so even in the moments that you remember of, of writing or, or that other woman a note five years ago, four years ago, on Valentine's Day, and how, how, how bad you feel about doing that, that's honest, but it's not true. The truth is how happy you feel that the woman you love is with you still. Yeah. And how you want to just drop all that. You want to just let all of that go and just celebrate what you have together and what's kept you together. The fact that she stayed with you when you yourself would have, would have told her to leave. Yeah. The fact that she loves you beyond your ability to love yourself. That's the truth. And that's what you have to share with her. Yeah. Makes sense. You, you couldn't be speaking more true words, although they could be more honest. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You got it. <laughs> so Danny, you have gone through immense amounts of grief that most people wouldn't be able to go through as easily as you. And I, you know what? I'm, I'm actually, I got to take that back. Cause I'm not even sure you went through it easy. You've just integrated no. it so well. Can you give some advice to people right now who are going through grief uh, on the same sort of level that you are going through? Cause there are so many people that have lost dear loved ones and uh, are where their dear loved ones are going through so much pain. So please share, give some, give some solace about how to, how to process these deep emotions.
I feel so fortunate that this book that wrote itself through me just continues to teach me every moment. And one of the things that I'm feeling as you're as you're asking the question that might help people who are listening, it certainly helped me. Is to know that everything passes. What we experience now is just what we're experiencing now. In my book, there's a character called the road worker. And the road worker's job is to fix potholes in the road. It's just what he does. For him, it's the easiest thing in the world. For him, it's what he loves. It's what he loves to do. He finds areas in roads that cause people dis discomfort, and he patches them up and fixes them, and it's easy to fix them up. He, everybody knows you just chip away the corners, you, you pour concrete into it, you level it off, and then you repaint it, and the road looks almost as good as new. But what interests him in his, in his work at fixing potholes is watching the way people experience the pothole. And in the course of what he's noticed, he notices four different types of people. The first one sees the pothole from a distance and drives right around it, and nothing happens, and they go on with their life. Never entered it, never had to leave it, just kept driving through life. Luckier for, luckier for the fact that they were aware. The second one drives in the pothole, ruins the front end of his car, takes it to the shop, is inconvenienced for a few days until the shop can fix it, gets, gets the car back, almost as good as new. His car's fixed, he's able to ride again and, and rides with it. The third one drives into the pothole and says nothing happened. His whole front end is damaged and he thinks no one's going to notice, but everybody notices and he lives life under the premise that people can't see what's actually going on, but everybody sees what's going on. But the fourth one is the one that interests him the most. And it's the one that drives into the pothole and gets stuck and thinks that the only place on the road that exists now is the pothole. They forget how glorious the road was before. They forget how much hope awaits them in the road that follows. And they just can't get out of the pothole. The pain that we go through is the pothole. We're in there for a reason. We're in there to experience that pain. We've got to, we've got to feel it. We've got to know it. Look how much the pain of going through that fair, of going through, of telling my wife, of watching my wife suffer, of watching myself become a different person through my wife's intervention with me. It changes us. Unfortunately, I wish it was different. I wish we could just not have to change through pain, but pain changes us. But it's also not constant. There are some people that never get out of the pothole. They go through that pain and will, and will live with that pain for the rest of their life. They will, they will make that pain their home. Don't be one of those people. Don't race to get out of the pothole, but when the time is right to get out of the pothole, the, beauty th the beautiful thing about the road worker is he doesn't really care what you're going through. The road worker has to fix the potholes. And you can't stay in the pothole. He has to get you out so he can do his job. 
So if you find yourself in a pothole that you can't get out, out of, call the road worker. Mentally call to him and say, I know you need to fix this road. I'm so sorry I haven't been in here so long. Will you help me out? He'll pull you out and take you out. He'll, he'll, he'll tow you out if he has to tow you out. He'll do whatever he has to do to get you out because his work has, is impaired as long as you're sitting in there. And then he'll fix it so that nobody else has to go into the pothole that you went into. You can find more potholes down the road. There'll be more of them. If you want to make your life in the pothole, go into the next one. Stay in that one until the road worker pulls you out. But the work we have with each other is to be the road worker. To find those places where people are in those deep, deep holes. And to just go and offer them a hand and say, oh, I can help you out. Come on. It's, it's like two, it's two feet. It's two inches. It's two millimeters. Just give me your hand. I'll pull you out. And to help people get out of the mess that they're in, out of the pain that they're in. But sometimes the pain has become so real for us that we forget the reality of joy. We forget that we used to just have laugh loud and have a great time. We forget the fact that life is beautiful and it was glorious. We forget the fact that we used to dance and sing. We forget the fact that we lived life carefree and open. And now because we have so much pain, we silo ourselves and protect ourselves and live in this bottle. It's not our place to live. We have a whole road of us ahead of us. It's going to take us on incredible adventures. There's no rush. You can stay in the pothole as long as you want, but eventually the pothole needs to fix that road. The, pot, the road worker needs to fix that road. Does it make sense? Yeah, that is a very multifaceted answer. There's, there's so many layers of wisdom in that. I, I've been haunted on and off with these ideas of my partner dying or, or just what happens at the end of life and just this, this letting go. And I'm, I like, I, I'm saying haunted, but I, I really appreciate these moments because they allow me to experience what they have. And this this time of letting go doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing. It can be something that just opens you up to new potential, to new adventures. And you can just trust the universe that everything is going to be okay. And in fact, it's going to get better and better and better every single yeah. kilometer you drive or, or miles if you're American. <laughs> uh. I've lived a fair amount of time here on this earth in this lifetime. And I think in other lifetimes as well, I've lived a fair amount of time here and there is such joy in letting go, letting go of everything. Yogananda used to say he walks into, he would walk into Carnegie hall and he would walk in and say, well, I'm in Carnegie hall. This building is mine. And he, and he walked through as if he owned the building. And he walked through as if he could enjoy it when he was there. And it's the moment he left, it said, it gives me great pleasure to give this back to you now. And he walked out and never thought about having it again. 
This life is the same way. We're given these adventures to enjoy them in the moments that we have them. But then when we, when we can let go of them, think of all the stuff we're carrying around that needs that no longer serves us. Think of all the pains, all the past limiting beliefs, all the, all the hurts that we've had that we're just carrying with us as burdens on our shoulders that weigh us down and make it so hard for us to move forward. And all we have to do is let them go. They don't do us any good anymore. We just need to let them go. And what would happen if we let them go? What would we be able to experience? What would be able, what would we would be able to have? When the road worker takes you out of the hole, of the hole, the pothole, you don't continue to hold on to his hand. Once you're out, you let go so you can live your life and go on. Well, I pulls you out. You don't want to let go. You go right back in. So when the moment's right to let go, just let go. Yeah. When the moment's right to let go, just let go. And I don't need to worry about it until then. <laughs> You're a young man. What are you worried about her dying for? You know, you know what it is, is I've, I've just done so many, I've had so many deep experiences and oh. one experience that I have not been able to get through yet, which is recurring every time I do uh, LSD or mushrooms and sometimes DMT is this idea of there being multiple different realities and yeah. transferring out of one into another one. But that tunnel is so hard to go into because I might not ever get back to this one. Yeah, but if you don't get back to it, so what? You keep walking. <laughs> so you have given us the wisdom of the road worker and i know that there are this like 48 archetypes do i have it correct well it, i wrote a deck of cards that has 55 archetypes Five. in the book there's probably about 12 or 15 okay so you've written the book with 12 or 15 archetypes and you have a tarot deck, which has 55 different, an Oracle deck really uh, that has 55 different archetypes in it. And you said something in your podcast that was really exciting and was really fun to listen to. And that was, you struggled to write your book because when you were writing it from Danny Levin's perspective, it wasn't getting written properly. Yeah. And you were being kept up at night and, and there's all these tech errors that were happening and you would just have to get rid of things and chapters because, because well, you didn't know why, but you yeah. figured out eventually while meditating that the characters needed to share their story. Yeah. And so... As a, as a young Danny, you were already in play with these otherworldly energies and you are doing the same again now with this book where you could say you're channeling these archetypes into the book and into this tarot deck. So can you give us a bit of insight as to what that's like what is it like to channel these archetypal energies and how do you know that you are channeling the right one great great question um hmm. 
Do you think I'm channeling this conversation with you? I don't. I think we're actually having a conversation, okay? Maybe we are channeling the conversation. Maybe we're directing it. Maybe we're doing it. Maybe you're not even here. Maybe you are. Maybe maybe it's all a figment of my imagination. But at least at the world that I live in today, it feels like I am just sitting with you and talking to you and listening to you and hearing you. I'm not a medium. I'm not a psychic. I'm not a channel. When I had these conversations with my characters, they were as visible to me as you are to me here. They reminded me of my friend. And in fact, he came into my book also. My little friend came at the end of the book and said, it's all been, I've been here with you the whole time. I've never left you. And my mom and dad, were those channeled people? No, but I saw them. But just because they left their body doesn't mean they're gone. And one of the things that I realized, and this is so important for anybody who's grieving, maybe even for you who grieves the, who grieves the thought that you'll lose your, your beloved. There's no place for anybody to go. We're all right here. The fact that you can't see me, like when we, when, when we end this call, and you can't see me anymore. Does it mean that I no longer exist? I'm still here. The interaction that we have can still exist. We live in an age of energy. We are not this physical form. And yet the lie has become so easy to believe we call it the truth. And the truth is so hard to believe we call the lie. The truth is that we're all connected. We're all a part of each other. We all are energy. But we live in a time and a day now where we believe in form and we believe in matter. And so Danny is this body. He's an older guy with a big stomach, with a long beard, and, you know, a, a complex of being too heavy. You know, Chris is a good-looking young guy who lives somewhere far away from where Danny lives. And how in the world could you say this good-looking guy and this old guy with a beard are the same guy? How can you say we're the same? That's, that's crazy. It's not only crazy. You're like a lunatic. That just isn't true. In the world of form, you're 100% right. In the world of energy, you're 100% wrong. What you are exhaling right now, I'm inhaling one second later. That's how quickly the interaction happens. So just because the road worker isn't right outside that I can see him right now, right, doesn't mean that I can't see him if I call on him. One of the things that I want to really share with the world is if you need something, call on it. We all believe in a God that we can't see. Some of us have said he's taken the form of Jesus Christ, but he's not here anymore. So how do we believe in that too? Some say he took the form of Buddha. So how do we believe in that? He's not here anymore. Some say he took the form of Krishna. Some say he was Moses. We believe in things that we can't see and we know they're still real. We know God's real, even though we can't see it. Why do we know that? Because we live in a world where we understand that there are things that we just can't see. This isn't a channeling that's happening. This is just changing dimension and seeing what's actually there. There is so much that exists in this world. In my book, 
when Mo asked the adults where his parents went after they died, the adults told him they went to a place called heaven. So Mo said, I'm going to find that place called heaven because I miss my parents and I want to be with them. And he set out on a search for the place called heaven. And the people he met were not the rabbis and the shin, shin and, and the Taoists and the, and the uh, priests and the ministers and the clergymen and the shamans and the, and the medicine men. The people he met was a garbage man driving a trash truck, a gardener pulling weeds from a garden, a homeless guy sitting on the street, a street artist making art out of the broken pieces of that he was given into mosaics, a waitress. He met common, ordinary people. And at first he sat and thought, what am I doing? Why am I meeting these people? These people can't show me heaven. Because in the beginning, he thought that heaven was someplace with a guy like me sitting with a beard much better than me and much wiser than me. <laughs> but what he saw was heaven was a change, was the change of perception that happened when he actually sat with these ordinary people and had them tell them their stories. In listening to the story, the people they became through his eyes were totally different than the one he saw when he knew nothing about them. So much so that it happened over and over and over and over and over again until finally he looked to his right and he saw the monk, a monk unzipping the sky and asking him to come to him. And the monk unzipped the sky and walked him into a parallel reality where he met the wise one who was the keeper of the mosaic and he had an experience with the wise one. And I won't tell the rest of it, hoping that I've encouraged the preview of the book that will invite Don't people to, to read the story and hear what it has to say. But we are living in multiple realities. Yes. We, we see a world that is so small, even in the reality that we live in. Have you ever seen the picture? It's a black and white drawing. And one way it looks like an old hag and the other way it looks like a young socialite. Yes. That picture is, is the secret. I mean, to me, it's the Da Vinci code. Because when we look at, when, we, when I looked at it the first time I saw an old hag, my friend saw a young socialite. And she said to me, Danny, you don't see the socialite? You don't see the young woman? I said, what are you talking about? It's an old woman. There's nothing young about this woman. And they tried to show me that this, the chin was really the nose and this wasn't really the neck and this was not, I couldn't see it. I couldn't, I couldn't change the perception. And then suddenly the perception changed and I couldn't see the old hag anymore. It wasn't that there's a new reality that came to take the place of the reality that I was looking at. Both realities existed at the exact same picture. I just couldn't see it because I was so firm and set on seeing what I see. The mosaic asked me to ask people, what would you see if you no longer saw what you always see? Will you give yourself the opportunity to see the socialite? She's right there in the same picture. How would the world look if you looked at what you can't see rather than what you do see? What would show up for you? 
And what would happen if we took 10 minutes out of the course of a lifetime to listen to someone we've never, we never knew before? I met a homeless man. And as you know, in my podcast, I say, when you look out your window at the world that you see, is this the world you want? And most people said no. And he said no. And I said, tell me what, what you would do to change the world. And he said, if people would only take 10 minutes and listen to somebody they don't know, the world would change. You would, see, you would see the world through a different set of eyes. You would see people differently. And I said, Corey, why is that so important to you? And he said, a few days ago, I, was, I had made a vow to myself that I was going to commit suicide because I'm an empath and I feel people so much as they were walking by, I felt their hatred for me. Some people wouldn't let, make it so that I had to feel them. They came up and kicked me and beat me. I got beat up on the street corner when no one was looking. I got spat on, I got people just, I could feel people's hatred for me. And I said, what am I doing here? Nobody gives a damn about me. I'm homeless, I'm, I have no contribution to society. What am I doing here? And I decided I was going to go home and commit suicide, go to home, be in another street corner around the place where it's not as obvious. And not three minutes after I said that, a man came out of nowhere and put his hand on my shoulder and said to me, hey, brother, how you doing? And I said, not that well. And he said, tell me about it. And he sat with me. He said it was probably only 10 minutes that he sat with me. But from that 10 minutes, I could no longer commit suicide. Because somehow now I knew somebody cared enough to spend 10 minutes with me. We have no idea the contribution we make into a person's life by spending time with them and listening. Corey has no idea the contribution he made in my life because he's one of the voices that I heard that's allowing me to go on the road and take 10 minutes and listen to people that nobody listens to. He doesn't know that. He'll never know that. But his influence on me will hopefully create a documentary that will give voice to the voiceless, that will change the ways we see things that we see in the world. And it's all because of a homeless man who was going to commit suicide who then had the time to spend with me and tell me what he would do to change the world. And I listened to him. And I hope it does change the world. That'll be Corey's, that'll be Corey's legacy, not mine. <laughs> That's so beautiful. I'm still, I'm still just processing that, just the impact of this, this one story. And I've, I've heard it twice today and both times it's moving me to tears. <laughs> I, you know, I, I've been guilty myself of just missing all of the stories around me and, and, and even just not, not even smiling sometimes when I could smile. So that, that is certainly something that that I'm going to be processing and going to be pondering on how I can integrate that better into my life. Yeah. So there's another story then that needs to be told on that story, which is be kind to yourself. Of course you're missing stories. Everybody is. I am, you are, Corey is, everybody's missing them. 
But all we have to do is try our best to hear one more story today. Yeah. And it's only 10 minutes. 10 minutes out of the course of a lifetime isn't that much. Why not? Yeah. And here's this great hero walking out into the world to listen to the stories of the unheard. And I look over to my wife and she says, you're not listening to me at all. I don't feel heard by you. You're a great hero going out and listening to everybody. Why don't you listen to what I'm saying to you now? You're too busy for me. You don't hear me. And I think, whoa, that's the person I love more than anybody. So what can we do to listen? What can I do to listen? Yeah. That, that listening is, is critical. You mentioned about being kind to yourself, and that is the first of your four steps to change the world, if, if I'm saying it right. Can you go over those four steps and yeah. share how that will change the world and why you believe in it so passionately? Yeah, I don't know if it'll change the world. I believe it'll change my world. And I think if it changes my world, it might change somebody else's world. And if it changes somebody else's world, it might change somebody else's world too. But I'm not, I'm not here any longer to change the world. I'm here to learn from the world how, what it wants to say. But the steps that came to me through the mosaic were really very simple that, that, we believe this is connection. Most people, if you ask them what connection is, they would say sitting down, talking to another person, listening to another person, hearing what they say and communicating. I think they're right, but that's the fourth step. There are three steps that come before that. The first connection we have to make is a connection to ourselves. And when I took a look at my connection to myself, what I saw was a guy who throughout the course of the day would put myself down, would, would say I'm not good enough, would tell myself that you can't do it, that would basically literally do this. I would just slug at myself, and it would happen at all sorts of times during the day. So without knowing when it was going to happen or where it was going to happen, I would hit myself, and with my other hand, I would protect myself. So I was literally creating a, a wall two inches or two millimeters from my face so I wouldn't, couldn't hit myself to protect myself from my own assault. And because I didn't know when I was going to hit myself or where I was going to hit myself, I had to create a silo around myself from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. And so the world that I was living in wasn't a world where I was visible, it was a world where I was invisible. I was protected and guarded with walls all around me because I didn't want to get hurt. As soon as I realized I could be kind to myself, like just the simple act of being kind to myself, I no longer hit myself. When I no longer hit myself, I no longer need the protection of that wall around me to protect myself from myself. So that wall can drop. In kindness, that that wall drops. Now I think, oh my God, look what kindness did. It just, it opened up to a world. There's a whole world out here. And suddenly I was vulnerable. I was vulnerable not 
only to the attack of myself, but to the world around me. I didn't even know that this world was here. So I became vulnerable to a world. And I, I, I realized there's something greater than me that lives in the world. Once I was kind to myself, I could see I'm not the only thing in the world. There's something greater that lives in this world. There's a God in this world. There's a source in this world. And when I started to realize that, I started to think, how do I relate to that world? How do I relate to that source? How do I connect to that? Because it's not just me walking around running my own life. There's a God that's running my life. There's a power greater than mine that has that's moving through me. How do I bring that into the world? How do I be open enough and vulnerable enough to allow that to happen? So let me just retrace. The first step is be kind to yourself. The second step is be vulnerable. The first being kind to ourselves allows connection to self. Being vulnerable allows connection to source. Suddenly, when I connect to source and I connect, I'm kind to myself and I see there's something running through my life, then I start to ask myself, well, what does this want me? What is this? What is that? What am I here for? Like, there's, there's something greater than me that's moving through me, that's, that's, that's helping me do the things that I'm here. What's my, what's my purpose? What am I supposed to do? So we connect to purpose. And with that comes this thought of, we're here to do what we've, we're here to do what we came to do. So often in our world today, we see people saying, you don't need to recreate the wheel. So I've just created the model, do this model and you'll make money and you'll do this and you'll be fine. And you may make money and you may be fine, but you also might not be fine. You might also not feel the fulfillment because you're following someone else's model. We weren't here, we weren't brought here to do what somebody else has done. We were brought here to do what we've got to do. And that slight little adjustment, we may, may look to everybody like it's the same thing, but the slight different adjustment of doing it the way we do it changes everything. And what would it mean to do what you came here to do? When I ask people, in, in the work that I do with people, I'll often get to the place to say to them, what is it you're here to do? Most people go, I don't know. I say, what do you mean you don't know? How, how, like, how is that possible? Like, if you don't know where you're going, every road will take you there. We know even in our cars, we have a destination. We put it in our GPS system. The GPS tells us, turn right, turn right, rebooting, return, calculating, to make a U-turn here, right? And the better our GPS systems have gotten, the less it needs to reboot and recalculate. Now it pretty much tells us the quickest, fastest, the most efficient way to get there. It tells us how to avoid traffic. It tells us where there are problems. It tells us how to get the place we're going. We have a human operating system that'll do the same thing once we know what we're here to do. So when we tune into what we came here to do, and we're open to being guided to that by a force greater than us, and we're kind to the world around us and to ourselves, We've connected to self through kindness. We've connected to source through vulnerability. We've connected to purpose by knowing what we're here to do. And those are the connections that happen when we connect then with people that know that. Those are the times when Margaret Mead says, a small group of people throughout the course of humanity have come together and changed the course of civilization. Because they were open and kind. They knew what they were here to do and they came together to do it. That's the power of connection. That's the four steps.
what you came to do. Be kind, be vulnerable, do what you came to do, and connect, build your mosaic. Connect to the pieces that are yours to connect to. That's that's really beautiful. That's really a profound four-step process. And it feels very relevant to to me right now in my life as I am stepping out and I am doing what I come to do and I am learning how to do it my way and not all the ways I've been taught from years of advertising training. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's really interesting to watch this, this fight within me between like getting things done the way, like just knocking, knocking tasks off and then doing them with my heart and like being fully present as I do them and to find that balance. So uh, your your four steps are really resonating with me. Thank you. Here's the interesting thing, though. Over the course of my life, I always thought I have everything inside of me that I need. I don't need to, to rely on anybody or go and do anything. The mosaic has totally disrupted that for me because one of the thing I, things I see is how brilliant my mind is. And it allows me to think that I've wor- I'm working through things that I'm really not working through. It allows me to circle the ditch that I need to go through to, because it doesn't want me to feel the pain that I have to go through to get through the pain, through the ditch and through the pain and get to the other side and get out. So it allows me to circle it saying, boy, if you would have seen me 10 years ago, you would see that I'm doing so much better. But it's only when I actually go to, to work with other people where I invite other people where I'm vulnerable enough to know that there's a source, there's a God that I can that I can believe in, but it's that same God is in the elephant driver telling the guy that's crossing the road, get out of the way, get out of the way, get out of the way. And the guy on the road says, well, God's in everything. He's in me. He's in the elephant. He's, he's not going to hurt me. The elephant won't hurt me because God's in me. He's in the elephant. And the elephant... And he wakes up in the hospital six months later with his, with his teacher by his side. And he said, teacher, I thought you told me God's in me, God's in the elephant. What happened? And he said, well, God's also in the elephant driver that was telling you to get out of the way and you didn't listen. Right? Yeah. So God is also, source is also in other people who can see us clearly. And when, we ha- when we're stuck in a certain area, that's when we need to reach out. When we're not stuck in a certain area, that's when we need to reach out so we don't get stuck. It's because other people see our lives differently. Other people see us differently. And when they can show us that perspective, it can also often help us get out of the ruts that we're in. So it isn't that we live life independent and alone and just do it our way. We have to do what we came here to do. But often that's with the help of other people helping us. Wow. I I can totally see that in my life too. Just the the amount of of ability I have is directly related to the amount of of support and community I have. I would not be where I am today without all well, without many, many without many women supporting me, actually. It's a, a lot of beautiful women who support me. So I, I can totally understand, and and I mean, even right now, the fact that we're able to connect, uh, yeah, it's the there's two of us here, but what's coming out is even greater than the two of us. So I, I absolutely love that. Yeah, and what I love is that 18 seconds ago we didn't even know each other existed. Yeah, <laughs> you know, 
and then all of a sudden we we make a contact through some social media place and we connect on a certain group and we say let's have a conversation and then we're sitting now for two and a half two hours over two hours already is it already yeah i I think we started at one o'clock we're two two fifty five so you know we're already two hours into it and and we could go on forever because that's just what happens totally okay i want to ask you a little bit about the way you you view the world right now now i already understand a lot from your stories right now and you don't have any particular way any any lineage to subscribe to although you've learned from a lot of lineages if you could give us some of the key beliefs because a worldview is formed of beliefs so some of the key beliefs that is allowing you to have this courage and success in your life and i'm saying success in the way that i mean it where Yeah, you know what I mean. You know what I mean. I'll, I'll leave it there. And this courage and this success in your life, what are some of these key beliefs? Um, I, it, it isn't even some to me. It's just, it's one. Okay. It comes down to such a simple, basic truth that I think that um, we've lost. We haven't lost anything. So many of us, I, I lost for a long time. The ability to listen to my own voice. And when we can literally shut down the noise that keeps us from hearing the voice that's our voice, the voice that guides us every minute of the day, it tells us, this is what I want you to do. It's those characters coming out of nowhere and saying to me, God, like how long do we have to take what you're doing from you and just, and, and keep until you realize that we were here, we want to speak to you and you're not listening to us. But how can we listen to other people when we don't even listen to ourselves? I remember lots of years ago when I was friends with the kids of billionaires. They were my buddies. And they would look at the choices I was making in life and they would laugh at me, not, not out of scorn. They would just say, Danny, when are you going to stop finding yourself already? You have, you're so smart. You're so brilliant. Any business would be, would be, it would be fabulous for them to have you and work with them. What, like, why don't you just get involved and get this? Why did you leave your, your uncle's business? Why did you, why did you never go into your uncle's business? Why don't you just get into the business world and, 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 and help the world to change? And I said, I understand your frustration and I hear you. Let me ask you one question. When are you going to know yourself? When are you going to stop doing what everybody else tells you to do and know what it is you want to do? Well, I know what I want to do. I want to do what I'm being taught. You know, I want to go into my business. I want to have this money and I want to be able to buy these things for myself. I said, okay, why? When will you know what it is you who you are? And we just left it at, at a crossroads because they thought they did and they thought, and I thought, you know, I did and whatever it was. About six years ago, I was in New York. I was staying at a hotel called the Mandarin Oriental, beautiful hotel right off of uh, the park. And their lobby is on the 35th floor. So you come up to the 35th floor and there's a place to sit and there's a bar out there and you can sit and have drinks overlooking the park. And I came home at 
I'm thinking like 10 o'clock or something at night after dinner with people. And I'm walking out of the elevator and walking into the elevator was a friend I hadn't seen from my days when I sat with him and we would have these conversations. So it's been probably, I'm going to say easily 35 years. And he walked in, he didn't, he didn't remember me. I, he walked in and I said, Neil. And he said, Danny. He said, I said, yeah. I said, where are you going? He said, well, I was going out to the club, but where, what are you doing? I said, I don't think I'm going to go out to the club. I think I'm just going to stay put here. He said, well, screw the club. I'm going to, uh, he said, I'm going to go up to the room. I have a bottle of scotch and I've got some cigars. You want to just sit in the, in the, in the place here and just have a conversation and get caught up. I said, sure, that would be great. We, we sat with a bottle of scotch and two cigars and we started to talk to each other. And I and he said, I want to tell you something. I owe you an apology. He said, I laughed at you. And I thought you were stupid to give up all that you had. But when I saw you and I remembered who you were, when I saw you and I remembered who you were, I, I looked at you and I thought, I was the foolish one. You looked at, you looked like you had peace. You looked like you were comfortable and happy. You looked like you were living a full, full life. And I said, but how about you? You have, you have all the money. You're like, a, you're so wealthy. You have your father's business. You're like a billionaire now. What's, what's with you? And he said, yes, I've had seven wives. I've had five different sets of kids. My kids don't talk to me. My wife hates me. I'm having an affair on her. I was going out to have an affair on her right now. I don't know one moment of peace. And I said, it's not too late. Let's, let's have some peace together here. We can sit together and share peace. And he said, I can't tell you how much hope you give me by just still being willing to talk to me, even though I've, I've messed up so bad. I said, you haven't messed up. You're a beautiful man. You just took a few turns. You don't think I've taken those few turns? And we sat together. And I thought maybe we would continue to get to know each other over time, but we didn't. It was just for that moment, that was all that was needed. And it was fine. And I love him till the day I die. He was my closest friend for a few years of my life. If we would understand how beautiful it is to know ourselves, if we would just get an experience of that, to know ourselves without any, any altered substance, to get to know ourselves in the peace of our being, to be able to empty out everything that doesn't belong, and just let everything that's, that's ours to come in. We would be so happy. Because who we are is the most beautiful thing in the world. Who you are is the most beautiful thing in the world. Who my friend Neil was, was the most beautiful man in the world. But yet he dulled himself with his scotch and his cigars and his women and his money. Doesn't mean you have to do that. 
There's some people that have a lot of money that have a lot of peace. There's some people that don't have any money and have a lot of spirituality and don't have any peace. So there's no prescribed route. Yeah. The route is yours to take and find, but wherever you are right now, this is the place that I work with people. This is the place that I play. Because once I understand where somebody's at, once somebody trusts me enough to let to be, to feel me and allow me to take them to those places that they don't want to go because I I won't abandon them there. I will be with them through their darkest moments. When they get through that channel, when they get through that tunnel that you were talking about, that's so hard to get through. Oh yeah. And they get into the light of seeing themselves. Oh my God, what a joy. There's just this such a fabulous, beautiful presence. And who we see we are is so much different than all the things we think we see when we look in the mirror. Oh, it's our man. birthright. I had a massive insight as you did that with your hand. Like, <laughs> I don't that's, it just connected with, with uh, that, that quote from Jesus where he talks about the pin, the the pinhole, and you have to. It's harder for a rich man to get through because they have all this stuff in the baggage. Yeah. And I was just thinking, like, whoa! Like it just flashed. I was like, whoa! I'm the rich man. Like I, I'm not even like particularly wealthy, but just the amount of stuff, you know. Like, yeah. and I've yeah. already got rid of a lot, but there's there's just yeah. so much. So like, I just that really flashed and connected with me. Wow. Yeah. Well, what I want you to see is your you're already through the eye of the needle. You're just, your past memory is keeping you thinking you're, you're the rich man. You can have every, all that stuff. You just have to come through the needle. Yeah. It's not hard. Yeah. It's only hard because you believe it's hard now. Can we, can we talk about richness for a little bit? Because you, you have a theme of money that goes through your life in a really, exciting way like you've turned down money you've you've given that money uh well you've turned down money in the form of the business you've given all of your money to the poor at one point um that inheritance that you got or that that uh that savings account and you've chosen to live a life that money isn't really a big factor and yet you've brought so much wealth to the hay house you know yeah and then even with this this friend who is very rich you can see the the theme come back up again this this beautiful theme of money so it's also really synchronous because i'm reading think and grow rich right now it's an incredible book um and and also I've read the science of getting rich and just money is a really big theme as like for most of, most of my life since doing DMT, actually, it feels like a long time, but like three years, I've given up money again, but now it's coming back into play. So what advice would you have for somebody like me who is spiritual and also wants to earn a substantial amount of income, but I want to do it in the, the truest purest untainted way yeah (laughs) what is your advice danny (laughs) Um, i'm learning right now with a woman and i don't i don't take this lightly because i very rarely recommend people to people 
Um, I'm learning now with a woman who wrote a book called Love Money, Money Loves You. Her name is Sarah McCrum. Uh, and she has the most beautiful, to me at least, the most beautiful way of, of working with money that I've ever seen. And she capsulizes what I believed, which is I was scared of money. I ran away from money. I gave it away. But when you treat money as you would treat your lover, would your lover stay if you treated her the way you treat money? Would your love, would, when I gave away all my, all my money, and I, if I gave away my love, would, would she stay with me? When I gave my love and said, I want you to stay and spend all your time with these pe poor people over here, what would that say about what I want for her for myself? And so what I'm doing is I'm waking up to a new reality that's here, which is the way we treat, the way we love and respect money is telling it what, is telling it what we want it to do. I said to you, as, I said the money is often as you give it to me, I will give it away, which is beautiful in one regard. The only reason it's not beautiful is if I can't afford to pay my rent. The only reason it's not beautiful is I can't take care of my family. So what she found is there are a ton of people that have a lot of money but don't have a fulfillment. And there are a ton of people that have a lot of fulfillment but don't have any money. And she said, I'm going to bring those people, the people that have fulfillment and no money, I'm going to help them to have money. And the people that have money and no fulfillment, I'm going to help to bring them fulfillment. And she put together a course, which I, which if I, I'll, I'll send you a link to it so you can put it in the show notes so that people can go and hear a couple of the things that she's doing. And if they, there's no sale process. If people like it, if they, people resonate, they take it. It's a 12 month course. Um, completely reasonable. So if people like it, they do it, but The reason I love her so much is that it resonates completely with what I believe. It resonates completely with the trip that I'm about to take. And that trip is about listening. And her book was written by asking, by answering a question, if money could talk to you, what would it say? And you just have to look at your relationship with everything in the world. If your work could talk to you, what would it say? If your friends really could say what they wanted to say, what would they say? If money could talk to you, what would it tell you? If the environment was talking to you, what would it tell you? If politics in your country were talking to you, what would it tell you? What would the world be saying to you if you listened to it? It goes hand in hand with why I'm going on the road. And when I started to listen to what money was saying to me, I started to hear all sorts of stories that I no longer that I didn't believe, that I was crafting over. I had stories that I no longer believe, crafting over stories that I do believe.
It just wants you to love it. Not from a place of crave, not from a greedy place of craving, not lusting it, but loving it. When you love somebody, you treat them with respect. You give honor to it. You give glory to it. You give it its place. You allow it to come to you and just come to you more and more. The more time you spend with it, the more you feel. Like when you have a lover, the more time you spend with your lover, the better you feel. Money wants to feel the same way. It wants you to enjoy it. It wants you to give it away. It wants you to, to buy things for people. It wants, you, it wants to buy things for you. It wants you to know that everything around you is, you is yours to have. It wants you to know that there's so much of it, it can't even contain itself. It wants to give you so much. It wants you to blow open the doors of what your limitations are on it because what will be your ceiling tomorrow I'm sorry. What is your ceiling today will become your floor tomorrow. Yeah. And it just keeps doing that. Keeps so I really recommend people and I'll send you I'll send you the link when we get off. Yeah, yeah, perfect. So you are you're about to go and make a documentary and you're going to be talking to a whole bunch of people from all around the world. You're going to be finding all the polarities in in, in terms of our society, every way that you can think to categorize people, you're going to try to, to get into all of these different groups. And what would the ideal finished product look like? If, if you have something in mind right now, I just want to, to get a sense of what your heart is that you want to accomplish with this, what, what your vision is around it. Is it going to be, is it going to be in theaters or is it going to be in some, private exclusive and not, not too exclusive but you know like probably or, or like little small venues like wh- what is the vision and what is the dream around this exciting project so i think when i see it i see it more as a netflix or something like that a hulu or something like that okay uh, and a, a production because i think that um the life of of this is better suited i don't know maybe it'll make it into a movie theater i don't want to think smaller mm-hmm. than but i think our world is changing so much. The internet has so many capabilities so that Netflix is selling more, more views than movie theaters are these days. Yeah. Um, Because it comes right to our home and we choose it and we, and we pay a membership and it's free to us to have it. Um, On a more personal level, I want to go and sit with people that are in the Ku Klux Klan. Um, when I think of them, I'm so scared by them. And I hate the message that they say. And I want to sit with them and I want to understand my hatred through their hatred. And I want to get rid of my hatred because that hatred has no place in my home anymore. I want to sit in communities that are of of people of color and I want to listen to what they would say because nobody gives them a chance to say what they want to say. I want to sit with the poorest of the poor and the richest of the rich. And I want to hear the stories that they tell. If I can share something with you, let me, let me see if I can share this with you. Um, Hold on one second. I just wrote this with a friend of mine 
who, and I just got a, an email while we were talking. Um, and they want to, they want me to, he wants to help me get into every unity church. Um, let me see if this, yeah, maybe this is it. Okay. Hold it. No. Is this it? Yeah, this is it. So this is going to take two minutes to read. Is that okay? Yeah. So the listening project, what, where, and when. Starting May 1, 2020, I will begin a year-long journey across America to sit with and listen to the voice of the voiceless. I'll film these conversations and create a documentary so the world can hear what the voiceless want to say. Why? I have a developmentally delayed daughter who cannot speak like we speak. When she speaks and doesn't feel heard, she screams. If that doesn't work, she throws a tantrum. And if that still doesn't work, she tries to rip my shirt or bite me. I see the same pattern of behavior from people in all walks of life, in government, in business, in families, in friendships. We live in a world where fingers move faster than lips, where the aches of our hearts and the creativity of our minds and the depths of our souls are read but not heard. Parents are too busy. Partners are stressed. Teachers are overwhelmed. Friends are preoccupied using their fingers to communicate anonymously about social, political, and emotional issues. We feel overstimulated and it's hard to let people and things in. We have shut down and feel increasingly disconnected from each other, from ourselves, and from our creator. Feeling unheard, we wonder even if God hears us. It's time for us to listen to each other again. It's time to open our hearts to each other because listening doesn't happen with the ears or the eyes. It happens with the heart. That is why I'm leaving the comfort of my family and my home to travel across America. I want to hold the space for people to feel safe and to listen to what they would say if they didn't need to scream, tantrum, or destroy. I want them to know whether they are hurt, happy, lonely, or overwhelmed. I will listen to them because within them is a great idea needing to be heard. That's the why of why I'm going. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yes. I feel it. Good. I don't think you're going to have enough time for one documentary. You're going to need a series, Danny, <laughs> a full series on Netflix. <laughs> okay, I like that. I like that. I would love that. So one of the other things that's really interesting that I'm doing is I've, I've been in contact with some people that are from Stanford University that now have started a company called Unanimous AI, unanimous.ai. And what they've been able to do is they've watched the ways more primitive civilizations operate. So they've looked at the way birds fly, and they fly in a swarm. They don't have a leader. They all somehow are, are collected, collective mind moving in harmony with each other. They all just know where they're going to go somehow. 
They watch the way fish swim. It's the same thing. They move in a swarm. They move together with each other in a school. And they, they, there is no leader leading them because the movements and the change of movements are too fast for any of them to follow. If they were following, they're moving collectively as one, as one mind. So they, and they watch the way bees discovered how to build a hive and where to build the hive. The bees realize that none of them have the capacity mentally to find the perfect place to do it on their own. So they send thousands of bees out into the world, into the location around them, all with the idea of where do we build our hive? And they come back and they congregate with each other and they sit together and, and you can feel them vibrating in the direction where they want to go to build the hive. And you can feel the whole hive moving to the left, to the right, go up and down until finally there's a place where there's no opposition. And where there's no opposition, they go and they build the hive, and that's how they've managed to live for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. They've made decisions together that were smarter than they could ever make on their own. So these people wondered if the human mind, which is the most brilliant mind so far, which will soon not be the most brilliant mind, in existence because AI is going to become more brilliant, artificial uh, universal galactic intelligence from other planets is going to be, become more, but for now it's the most intelligent mind in the world. They said, I wonder what could, would happen if we would elect, find a way for the human mind with all of its intelligence to come together and swarm. What would we be capable of doing? And so they created a virtual room, and in the room they had an octagon with a eight points on it, and each point would be an answer to a question that they would ask. And in the center would be a puck. And then they would invite people into the room, random people, to come into the room, and they would, they would each have mag a magnet that would pull the puck towards the answer that they wanted. And what they found is that they were looking for things that they could prove the accuracy of what they were doing. So they wanted conclusive, conclusive evidence. So one of the networks down here invited them on a challenge. They said, if you think you can do that, we want you to pick the winners of the Kentucky Derby. But we don't want you to just pick the, one, the first place winner. We want you to pick first, second, third, and fourth. They said, great, let's try it. We have no idea if we'll be able to do it or not. They brought 40 people who said they liked horse racing. They weren't, they weren't gamblers. They weren't handicappers. They didn't own horses. They didn't go to the horse races often. They just liked to watch it every once in a while. Into a room, and on the octagon, they put the name of each horse that was running at one of the corners. And they said, before we start, we want you to write on a piece of paper next to you who's going to come in first, second, third, and fourth. Each one wrote on the piece of paper who they thought. They said, now we want you to come into the room. We're going to ask you independently. You'll come in collectively. Your, your collective voice will move the puck. All of you will have access to the puck at the same time. Who's going to come in first? And they watched the puck move. It moved over to side, and they settled on one place. Who's going to come in second? Same thing. Third, fourth, same thing. A $20 bet on the, on the choice that they made produced an $11,000 reward. Here's the interesting thing. On their own individual cards, not one of them picked the horse to come in first first, nor second, nor fourth. Only one of them picked the third place horse to come in third. So individually, they had no idea. They would have lost all the money that they bet. They had no idea what the right answer was. But collectively, they won $20,000, $11,000 on a $20 bet each. 
what they hope that what they hope that shows is that collectively our minds are stronger together than they are apart. When we can come together and influence the way we all think by thinking collectively, we make better decisions, we make bolder decisions, we make wiser decisions because we make them together. So I said to them, if that's the case, you can make a lot of money as a gambling site, which you've opened up. You've opened up a gambling practice and you can make money. You can do predictive analysis with companies to say, which, which colors should we use? Which, how should we market this? Which words should we use? But could we use this to solve social problems? Yeah, like court. That's the obvious one. You have 12 right. people and just get right. them to do this with this software. Totally. Could we use it in court? But could we also use it to solve world problems like hunger and homelessness? Yeah. Like, like poverty, like sex trafficking, like clean drinking water, like inequality, like racism. Could we, could we go around and ask people, what are the things they want to see? If they look out their window and they see a world that doesn't work, what would they want to change? And so as I go around the world, I'm going to, I'm going to ask people, what is it you want to change? And if you could change it, how would you go about changing it? And I'm going to have them list the things that they would change and how they would go about changing it. And then we'll bring that to the swarm and we'll have the people decide what it is they want to change, how they want to change it. And we're going to ask a dollar a month to be the membership that we ask people to join so that that's $12 a year. There'll be some people where $12 a year is like a billion dollars for them. So I'm going to ask those people who can afford to sponsor someone who can't afford it. Yeah. And then what we'll do is we'll have the swarm make decisions. We'll say, what is it you want to solve? You want to solve hunger? How would you do it? What would be the three steps you would do? And we'll have them swarm. Then we'll take what I'm hoping to have is a minority of 1 billion people. 7 billion people will think I'm crazy. I'm just looking for a minority of 1 billion. Yeah. And if we can get $1 billion a month to start to invest in the solutions that the people decide. In America, our constitution starts with we the people. Mm. I don't know what a we the people world looks like. This may be the first moment a we the people world could exist where we the people decide what problems we want to solve, how we want to solve them. And we use our dollar a month collectively to become a billion dollars a month to fund the things that we believe will be the solutions to our problems. We may get it wrong for a few months. We may get it wrong for a year, but I'm willing to invest $12 knowing that the tech, that the system works, that collectively we think smarter, better, more, more, more accurately together. And we just have to refine the way we ask the questions and get it worked out. So we could throw away $6 billion, but we don't have a board of directors telling us that it's their money because we're the board of directors. It's our money. We decide. And I'd be more than willing to give give $12 to solve clean drinking water problems around the world. I'd be more than willing to end hunger with with $12, $12 contribution. I'd be more than willing to end racism with a $12 a year contribution. And so if we can get that, if we can get a group of people, 1 billion people strong that are the minority of 1 billion, and I love that because my 1 billion, you think it's a lot of people, but in the world, it's a minority. It's one in, one in eight people. 
we can get one in eight people to say the solutions of the world aren't working the way they're not giving us the solutions we need. Buckminster Fuller said the problems that exist today, we can't solve with the thinking of today. We have to create a new model of thinking, a new paradigm that makes the old paradigm obsolete. So as I go around and I listen to people, I'm going to ask them what they really want. And I'm going to invite them to come into the Mosaic Swarm. Anybody who's listening here, if you if you're interested, go to the mosaic. Go to the mosaic. Go to the, there's a link there. Go to the swarm. You you realize the link was broken. We fixed the link. So uh, the person I'm working with, we're um, we're bringing it back to our to our our place, so they can contribute twelve dollars a year, and we'll start to engage people slowly at first because right now we're thirty people, twenty five people, fifty people, whatever we are. But every movement of a billion starts with a, a, a few. Danny, I love this idea. I was already trying to join it earlier, which is why I found out that the link was broken. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I I would really want to to make sure if I were behind that program that everything was kept public, that there wasn't any Absolutely. sort of interest group running this sort of thing, because to me, it's an immense amount of power. That I mean, we don't need the technology to access that power. Um, the power of the mastermind, as as thinking grow rich, uh, Napoleon Hill puts it, uh, is is readily available to us all. But but the fluidity uh, uh, with the program being the moderator is really beautiful. There are people that I love that say, if your dream, if your big hairy audacious moonshot doesn't scare the hell out of you it's not big enough yeah this is big because i i it scares me so much that i wake up at two o'clock in the morning and i can't go to sleep worrying worrying thinking about it embracing it holding it saying who am i to do this you know mo the character the end the the the, uh the villain in my in my story it's not a villain. It's just most thoughts about himself that he's not good enough and not big enough, not capable enough. I'm just going to start and go out and see what I can do. I know that the people that I'm working with will be transparent. I know that we'll post what it is we're doing. I know that we'll use, we'll be good. Will there come a time where people will disrupt this? Will there come a time where people will hack into the system? Maybe, but we just have to be vigilant and watch it. Or look, but our democracy is no longer our democracy. We know now that in America, our voting yeah. methodology is being tampered with. Oh, yeah. We know it. it they've, they've told us they're doing it. We know that it's happening. I, I foresee a time where we will no longer vote for parties, yep. where there will be no Democrat and Republican. There, this swarm of people will decide how we do things together. We will be the party. Yes. We will become the voice of, of, of the voice of the voiceless will become the voice that we listen to. And I don't know if that will happen in my lifetime. I don't know how it will work. But if I can plant the seed for it, everything takes time. From the time we order it to the time it arrives, even a pizza takes 15, 20 minutes, right? So we have to we have to place our order and we just have to be and we have to be vigilant vigilant in waiting for it to arrive and not cancel our order in the meantime saying it's not going to be possible it can't happen but there's a, everything about it is transparent initially i thought every single dollar of the of the billion dollars would go into 
to charity, then I thought, hold it, we can take 5% out of that to handle uh, affiliates, to handle people that will grow it, to handle salaries, to handle expenses that we're going to have in, in, in getting things started. 5% of a billion dollars is $50 million a month. That's a lot of money. We don't need, who needs that? We don't need that much money to do, to do what we're doing. So some months we'll take 2%, some take, times we'll take 5%, some months we'll be, but we'll share all of that with the people and we'll ask the people if that's okay. It's all, when we understand that we make our decisions, nobody makes them for us. There isn't somebody, there isn't a big daddy looking down from heaven saying this is the way it has to be. We bring it to the group and say, what is it you want to do? How do we support you? How do we make, how do we help you finance? How do we help you grow in every area of your life? How do we give you back? How do we introduce you to people in this swarm that can help you grow your business, grow your life, grow your enthusiasm, grow everything about it? How do we create a community of people that is global and worldwide that solves the problems nationally and also solves problems locally? How do we get you together with the people in your community so that you can start to figure out what you do about decreasing traffic, what you do about building roads? How do, you, how do we all do this? How do we contribute back into the individual communities to make that happen? There's plenty out there if we open up to it. You can give that software to people to use with them and their friends, you know? Yes. like Yeah, because like that's – I mean – it's easy enough to create that software, but just to give it away with some instructions and to, to teach people how to tap into this, like that well, would be- a, a, Unanimous AI does that. You can go on, you can go on, on Unanimous AI, you can go to another site called Swarm AI and they have, pro, they have the ability, the capacity to, I don't know if they give it away, but they, they make it available to smaller businesses. So wow. smaller businesses, it's affordable for smaller businesses to use the technology to make the decisions they need to make. And I love those guys. They don't even know how much I love them. I mean, I talk to them, I talk to them about it. They love the idea, but they don't know how integral a part they're going to play in, in what I believe will be the next new world that we see. I totally see that. This lines up with everything that, that I've been discovering in the last few weeks. So this makes so much sense. <laughs> Yeah, and to me, I call it the mosaic mind because when you see yeah. a mosaic, it's all these broken pieces, yeah. right? It's a horizontal reality, not a vertical reality. It's it's exactly you. That this is exactly Danny's thing. This makes so much sense. <laughs> I love it, and I just you know, I, and it's not mine. It's 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 these brilliant minds that have thought about it. But we're all we're all connected. We're all so much con- connected. The vision is yours, right? Well, the vision is theirs. They, they, United say I came up with the vision, but they, my vision and their vision aligned with each other. Okay. Okay, good. Good. And so we share a vision and we, and we use what we're doing to share our vision and build something even bigger than the vision that we each of us had. <laughs> yeah. This is going to change the world. This, this gives me so much hope, you know? Yeah. I've made a decision in the last, uh, I think it's been three weeks now, where I'm not taking in any negative news or negative messaging so far as I can help. And, and that doesn't mean not listening to people's stories, but th- that means listening listening unnecessarily. We'll just say there's a, there's a, you know when you're doing it. There's an unnecessary fascination with negative events in, in, our, in our culture. And so... Yeah. And even conspiracies in the alternative cultures. So 
this this is one of the major events that I've heard about since then that has been as intriguing as some of the dark things that I've heard about, but on the positive side. And that's why I I feel so much light coming from this. And I'm so happy to make this discovery and many more to come of just equally incredible, beautiful, positive discoveries that'll make the world a better place. (laughs) Fabulous. Well, if you feel it so strongly, help us make it happen. Help, help enlist people, help get people involved, help us find systems and ways to check and balance it, help, yeah. us, to help us to grow it, help us to do it. You know, this is, this, this is bigger than any one individual. Yeah. And so what can I do? I'm an old 60, I'm almost 65 years old. I'm an old fat guy from California who's going to travel around the world with yeah. a dream of touching people, you know, so what? But it, it, the only way it takes hold is if it captures the imagination of, of a nation of people, of a world of people. And a world of people says, I don't like the way the system's working. I don't like all the fighting that's going on. I don't like the way our political systems are working, our medical systems are working. I don't like the way insurance companies are working. I don't like any of this stuff that's happening. I want to find a new way. Could this possibly be the new way? And would I invest $12 in the possibility that it is? And one of the things we're, we're, we got to figure out is like, I understand what to do with it when it's a billion people. What do we do with it when it's 25 people? You know, we'll look back when we're a hundred thousand people and say, God, the 20, remember when it was 25 of us and we could sit and do what we did. But what is that that we did? You know, what is it that would makes, gives value for the 25? What does it give value for the 500? What does it give value for the thousand? What does it give 10,000, 100,000, 500,000, a million, a billion? Where are the value points and what are the benefits that I have from giving my $12? Because what I want to do is I want to make it so ridiculously beneficial that nobody even thinks about it. Yeah. And so we need people along the way. I'm just one little tiny mind. I don't want to become a vertical mind in a horizontal world that I'm trying to create. Yeah. I want to have people become a part of it and say, this is what I would do. This is why I think we should go here. And then we swarm it. We see with the 25, what does a swarm believe? Again, there's so much there for me to think about. And it's in one of those, it's been, it's one of those ideas that I could easily throw myself into, but I, I need to, look at at my life and i need to figure out in what way i'm going to support that because there's totally, there's, there's totally. so many options but i i certainly will be a supporter of this this, this is exactly what the world needs fabulous yeah and and the most beautiful thing of all of this that i'm doing is i don't want people to do anything more than they feel drawn to do yeah i just want them to do what they feel drawn to do you know, when I'm traveling, it's like I was, uh, I, someone contacted me and said, I'd be happy to put you up in our house for a night, but I'm not going to put one drop of gas in your car. <laughs> I, I said, that's so okay. Like you're, you're letting me stay with you. Can you imagine how beautiful that is? I'm, that makes me so happy. Yeah. Like, why do you have to tell me you, you're not going to put gas in my car? I could care less. I might not even be traveling by car. Who knows how I'm going, you know, but the fact that you offered your house, to me for one night. What a kind, generous gesture. Why do you have to throw on it what you're not willing to do? Nothing's expected of you. Yeah. Everything is what I'm grateful for. You're welcome in Toronto where I am anytime, Danny. Thank you so (laughs) much. I'd be happy to support this exciting vision of you traveling around the world. Thank you so much. 
Danny, it's been pretty much three hours. So yeah, hard to believe. I, I'm having such a good time. I could keep talking to you for another three hours. But just before we close, is there anything else that you want to share? Is there any other is there any other statements come into your mind that you'd like to share with our audience today? So I'm getting two things. I thought I was getting one. I wasn't getting any. Then I got one. Then I got two. Um, we have no idea how important kindness is. Kindness to ourselves. Kindness to our creator. Kindness to the gift of money that money's trying to give us. Kindness to each other. If we would practice kindness, we would establish an atmosphere of trust. When you know that I'm not going to hurt you, you can trust me that I won't hurt you. And you open up to me. When you open up to me, I listen to the things you're saying. Then what happens is we come together. It doesn't matter that we disagree. When you look at a mosaic, most of the pieces don't sit flush up against each other. Sometimes they connect just one corner to another corner. Meaning most of what this piece believes and what this piece believes, they don't, they don't share but they just share this tiny little corner. But in sharing that corner, they make the artistry of the mosaic possible. It's time for us to find those tiny little corners in a world that wants to show us how separate we are, in a world that wants to show us how different we are. It's time for us to take a moment and try and notice that corner that we're, that we're the same. What would life look like if we were the same in a tiny little corner? I invite people to come and read the mosaic. They can get it on Amazon. I invite people to come to my websites, which I'm sure you'll post in the show notes below. I invite people to take a look at what Sarah McCrum is doing with money. If they have any problems with money or situations with money, I invite them to listen to the things that I'm doing if they feel drawn to it take her program you will not you will be ecstatically happy i invite you to join the mosaic swarm and become a part of this incredible experiment and to see if we the people can make which make a world that we the people want to live in it's time for us to stop thinking someone else is going to do it to stop thinking that we can do it on our own extraordinary things happen when extra ordinaries come together. We are beautifully ordinary people. We don't need to be superpowers with superheroes. We just need to be ordinary people and allow extraordinary people to come together. Extraordinaries to come together. When we come together, we'll create extraordinary things. Let's do this. We can do it together. 
I agree. We could do this together, Danny. <laughs> I totally feel it. Everybody, I want you to go and take a look at Danny's podcast as well. He didn't mention it here, but you can find it on his website. If I have the website right, it's is it the mosaiconline.com? Yes. The mosaiconline.com. And you can get his book, The Mosaic, on Amazon if you search The Mosaic, Danny Levin. And that is going to be such a great read. I am so excited. I, I regret that I haven't read it already, but I feel like I, I've read bits and pieces of it through yeah. all the different podcasts I've listened to and through Danny's stories. Thank you for doing such a thorough job and for having taking so much of your time to chat with me. And if people want to know about me personally, they can also go to danielbrucelevin.com. It's another second word. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Danny. I appreciate you spending this time as well. And I wish you all of the biggest success in your dreams. And I wish that your dreams will happen beyond your wildest imagination. Thank you. You'll accomplish more with, with less with less strain than you would have thought was possible and things will line up in ways that you will have you'll you'll look back and and it'll be an entire story of itself just how your vision comes together just because it's going to be so miraculous you can make another documentary just on that (laughs) so that's my wish for you danny Um, i receive it and i appreciate it and i mirror the same things back to you i hope the same for you thank you so much Bye for now. Ciao.